eyes. Yeah. Or the director's like, hey, you've got big eyes. I don't know let's, which way around it is. Let's use those to emote. <laughs> but, yeah. like, I mean, a counterpoint, like, I think, like, her in uh, The Northman last yeah, year was... The Northman yet. See, I loved The Northman. That's on Binge. That's another reason why we got Binge. Yeah, I um, I reckon you'd actually really dig that. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's Robert Eggers who did um The the Vivitch and yes. The Lighthouse, so, yeah. Yeah, so I know it'll be... Tina wasn't a big fan of the Vavitch, but the language <laughs> may not have helped. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. I forget about that. <laughs> but, like, that was one that first time I watched it, I was like, eh. And it yeah. really did grow on me quite a bit. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, wait, I might have to talk about what I've seen recently. Oh, yes. That, that is a good... This is, this is really... <laughs> this is a good segue. Yeah. I just realised, yeah. Yeah. Uh, on that note, uh, welcome to the Criterion Quest, a continuing podcast series talking about important films and contemporary classics. My name is Chris, and I am finally joined by a co-host again. <laughs> I've got someone on mic. <laughs> After several episodes of uh, Flying Solo, uh, Eric is back with me. Hi, everyone. Hi, Chris. How are you going? Good. Yeah, it's been a while. I yeah. Think. I think, yeah, I was looking, I think. So this is number 316, mm-hmm. and you were last on, I think, episode 300. Which was... Life Aquatic. Life Aquatic. Yeah. Yes, and we did Man Who Fell to Earth as well. Oh, yes, I forget, which was like 306. Felt like it was a long time ago. Yeah, it was, I mean, it's been a... It's been a Few and far between with some of the episodes, just because. Yeah, it's doing it by yourself is rough. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad it's you, not me. Yeah, I'd run out of things to talk about. No, fast. I am. I'm so happy to have uh, someone back on mic, and uh, with the return of Lee coming very soon. Yeah. So, not if yet. not, I think by the time this episode comes out, she will have already been back on for um Ooh. for a end of year wrap up, and oh, yeah. she's back on the Patreon. But yes, so. But, uh, yeah, we just watched uh, Akira Kurosawa's 1985 film, Ran. So we're a bit bummed out right now. Bummed out. <laughs> a bit tired and sleepy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, before we get into uh, this episode's film, I guess, um, have you been? Have you seen anything good lately? Yeah, I have. I mean, it's that time of year, isn't it, where there's um, <laughs> yeah. a lot with pretty sport for choice in Australia, I guess, a few of the... Big ones are still yet to make it here. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, so I know, yeah, we're maybe a month or two behind on some of the bigger ones. Like, I'm I know, assuming it must be something like that. Yeah, so I know Tar opens, at the time we're recording this, Tar opens up this week and The Whale coming soon. And we got Babylon, I think, a week or two ago. And yeah, I know people seeing it this weekend. Mm, yep. But, um, yeah, the joys of, like, I've had Tar on Blu-ray for, like, over a month now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I've forgotten, like, oh, yeah, we're back into this type of realm where I can just order the Blu-rays and yes, have them months exist. before. Yeah. No, I um, I guess, like, in terms of new films, mm-hmm. the best new film I have seen is The Banshees of Inner Sharon. Yeah. Well, um, give us a rundown of your thoughts. Oh, it's just great. Like, it's not happy. <laughs> What are you talking about? It's a comedy. <laughs> it, it is very funny, actually. Um, no, it was. It came about. I think I'd seen the poster and I'd seen the articles of um, Brendan Gleeson and, and Colin Farrell reunited with Mark McDonough, and then Tina randomly just was like, "Oh, we should watch In Bruges because she'd never seen it." Mm. I'm like, I haven't seen it in like fifteen years. We we definitely should. And she loved it. And I was like, that was even better than I remember it being. It's pretty fucking amazing, isn't it? Is it is so good. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, on a rewatch down the track, I was like, that is so good. And, yeah, so Banshees was fantastic as well. Like, I'd, I'd probably put Bruges just a, a little above. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but um, the performances in Banshees are great. The like the use of sound and like the lack of sound and music is oh, yeah just so isolating. And um, you'd love to see Colin win an Oscar. Yeah, well, I was just about to ask that actually. Where, in your opinion, do you think? his chances lie so who's his opposition uh currently uh in terms of like all nominees um there's i mean there are the closest competition i think it's a three horse race to be honest out of the five um it's like no offense to paul mescal from after sun which i think is amazing Mm. and bill nye for living like you know what the prize is just being nominated (laughs) um especially paul mescal i found out he's like super young he doesn't oh. look it, but yeah, he's no. like younger than Timothy Chalamet. Oh my gosh! Okay. Yeah, all right. <laughs> like you got time, buddy. You you, you got to go. <laughs> um, uh, but it's it's really a three horse race at the moment. It seems between Colin, uh, Brendan Fraser, yep. and Austin, Austin. Button. That's Butler right from Elvis. Yeah. Yeah. So I haven't seen the other two, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. I think I. I think you saw the whale, didn't you? So we'll. Yeah, yeah. So I just saw the whale on Monday, actually. Yep. And I know I think you weren't a massive fan. Is that right? I really did not like that film. No. But how was Brendan? Brendan is best actor. Brendan is very good in the film, and it's one where he deserves all the praise that he's getting mm-hmm. for it, like rightfully so. Um, I just really wish it was in a movie that had something to say. It, it, to me, is just... I think Darren Aronofsky is the wrong person to make that film. Yeah, okay. Um, it's very bleak and kind of wants to wallow in misery yeah. while, meanwhile, trying to present a text that is supposed to be about hope and goodness. Okay, so it sort of misses that mark. 100%. Yeah, okay. I, I, I yep. think, at least. Yep. I mean, I'm saying this off of, you know, one viewing and earlier in the week, so but. To me, it just, like, when I, when I left to go to the cinema, Claire said to me, like, have fun with your incredibly sad movie. <laughs> and I'm an easy cry. Um, mm. I did not even well up a single tear. No. In okay. the film that is being marketed as, like, bring the tissues. The trailer looks, yeah. Intense and mm. sad. Um, I was so disconnected from the characters that I just didn't give a shit. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah okay. which I really wonder if that, like, having such a great performance in such a mediocre film... Yeah. <laughs> mediocre's not the right word, because it's well made. It's, it's just... a film that misses the mark. Yeah. Yep. If if him being in a film that isn't great is going to hurt his chances, maybe, for winning? He's got a lot of hype behind him. That's the thing. And, and Hollywood loves a good comeback story, so... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, look, I think Colin was very, very good, like... I didn't necessarily watch that film and think this guy's going to win Best Actor. I know, yeah. Uh, I wouldn't. I think it'd be fine if he did. I haven't seen those other two. I haven't seen Elvis um, or The Whale, so I don't have those to compare it to. All the other ones, actually. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, Austin Butler's great in Elvis. He's the best part of Elvis. Mm. But I just have hit a point in my life where I'm just like, can we stop giving Oscars to people playing musicians? I have been on the train to stop giving it to biopic actors. Yes! It's just I've like, been on that train uh, for years. It's I know this is a, probably not a I nice thing to say, but like Eddie Redmayne being an Academy Award winner for playing Stephen Hawking, I mean, I don't mean to be mean, but how is what he did different than what anyone else would have done in that role? You already know the character you're going to play. Yes. I'm not saying I could do it. There is... But infinite amounts of footage for him yeah, to look over and just study, impersonate. Like... Ugh. Yeah, I like I. I just think when someone because he was up against some good 
opposition from memory, but yeah, when you've got original characters yeah. that get fleshed out well, that is so much more impressive to me yeah. than someone who studies tapes. Um, I yeah. watched all of Elvis. I learned how to just be Elvis. Yeah. Like, yeah okay. Army Malik, you know, all that sort of oh, stuff. Yeah. Um, don't get me started on Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just, I, I don't know. That's my personal. I yeah. just, I don't dislike biopics. I did enjoy um, uh, Theory of Everything in the end. I mm-hmm. didn't watch it for a long, long time because I didn't want to. Yeah. It, and it's then a, I enjoyed it when I finally got made to watch it. It's a totally fine movie, but yeah, like, kind of interesting, did it but... deserve a Best Actor nomination? Not sure. Or not, not like win? Yeah. Even things like Imitation Game and stuff. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Again, another one where you're just yeah. like, yeah, sure. It's like, yeah, sure. Let's give it to the guy who played Winston Churchill. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Let's <laughs> Out of all play. of Gary Oldman's performances, why that one? <laughs> yeah. So, there's just so, it just so often goes to the biopic performer, and I don't know. It just seems like the lazy choice sometimes. It's, it's the it in imagination in my own personal. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a thing where I think the Academy likes to go, they can't, sometimes misconstrue the categories as instead of best actor, it's most actor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, like, smaller, subtle performances like Colin Farrell in mm. Banshees will kind of just be like, it's good, but you're like, no, 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 like, really look at look what at the, he's the doing. Way he balances comedy with his just sheer And the arc that character goes on. Arc and that Ugh. final bit where his transformation's complete. It's brutal. I, I oh. rewatched it again the other day, and... The scene where he drunkenly confronts Brendan Gleeson at the pub oh, yeah. is heartbreaking. Yeah, like he just, just pours out everything in his sister. Yeah, and oh. it just ends with him just having the realization. It's the, like the best line where it's you used to be nice, and then just his face sings, and it's oh god, maybe you never were nice. Yes. <laughs> You're just like oh. Right, give the man the Oscar. <laughs> yeah, so that's it. If, but, yeah. I liked it. I liked the movie and I liked his, everyone's performances. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and uh, I don't know, I've seen a few other movies otherwise that were less sad. Um, <laughs> we, we went and saw Stop Making Sense. Yes, that was super fun. Yeah, we went to the Astor. Our, yeah, okay. On that note, yeah. So every year the Astor Senate Theatre here in Melbourne does a Stop Making Sense party. It is super fun. Just screening of the movie and dance party, and it's a great time. And you and Tina had never seen it before. I probably purposefully not watched it on, like, TV screen. Um, Because I knew Mm. that I wanted to see it on the big screen and the party sort of situation. Yeah. And um, it did not disappoint. It's right there in the big screen with everyone else getting into it. It's genuinely like being at... The concert. Pretty much, yeah. Um, which which leads me, I'm going to, on mic, uh, bring this up. I noticed on Letterboxd, four and a half out of five. Yeah, no. <laughs> it takes a lot to get a five out. I try yeah. and be, it, it's, look, it's, it's pretty much five, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I gave it four and a half because I try not to throw the fives around I get, really nearly. Yes, yes. But really, that's a 4.75 at least. Yeah, really. yeah. <laughs> That's been my thing this year, it's actually. It's really hard sometimes. Yeah, like I know I was proud of myself. I think uh, Everything Everywhere is the first five I've given mm. in like two years or something, I think. But I've um, lately just started really being like, the four is going to be hard harder to earn for me yeah. these days. Because the four seems like, four stars is such an easy rating to throw like, out. It is. And I've got to like, for me, like three is solid. Yeah. And like, I love Get Out a lot. And mm-hmm. that's a four. Yeah. So that's sort of my four benchmark movie. Yeah. And I've got a couple of benchmarks when I'm rating things out of like 
yeah, five. Mm. Like, um, I, I went and saw a movie, I can't remember what, but I was talking to my boss at work and said, you know, yeah, it's good. I really liked it. You know, it's good. It's, it's solid. It's three and a half stars. Mm. And her response is like, oh, God, that's not good. And I'm like, you know that two and a half is the absolute mi- like yeah. average? Like, that is middle. Yeah. <laughs> two, two to me is not a good film. Yeah. And anything less than two is progressively worse. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, Whereas, like, two and a half is, like, totally fine. Yeah, it's fine. Don't want to watch it again, yeah. really. Three and a half to me is, that's a good. That's pretty solid. Yeah. <laughs> so, yep, yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm getting better at not throwing out For the force. It's, it's a standard deviation curve. It's a normal curve. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And, um, yeah, 2.5 should be at that peak. <laughs> yeah, it is. Exactly. Um, speaking of which, I did throw out a four recently mm-hmm. um, for something new that I saw um, that I know has been very div- uh, kind of divisive and a lot of people don't dig oh, it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I went and saw Babylon. Yeah. Uh, and I loved it. <laughs> I saw that. Yeah. I'm... So um, I went with Claire. We, we got tickets to go to the premiere, which was very fun. Um, and it's... I think if we didn't have free glasses of champagne, Claire <laughs> wouldn't have tolerated it as much as she did. Okay, yep. She was not a fan. No, um, okay. It's, it's, I mean, it's very on the nose in the sense of it's a film discussing and dissecting the excess of Hollywood in the 1910s and 20s, in like that 20s, I should say, in that transitional period of I'm sound just into sound. Great Gatsby, but in Hollywood rather than New York. Kinda, like yeah. That's sort of my vague. Well, sort of... it, it's a film about excess that, in it, in its construction, is excessive. Yes, yeah. Um, I mean, just very bluntly, kind of. I mean, it's not spoilers if it's in the first ten minutes. I guess um, within the first ten minutes of Babylon, uh, there is excessive swearing, like lots of f bombs, and I think maybe even a c bomb being dropped. Some Jonah Hill, Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, style. that level, like insane <laughs> amount of swearing. Um, Mountains of cocaine, um, a woman straddling a man and urinating on his face while he jerks off, and a close-up of an elephant's asshole as it spews diarrhea. All in the first ten minutes? Yep. Good. Which is like, I (laughs) wanted to stand up and applaud, because it's from the director of La La Land. (laughs) I'm just like, good on you for like setting your benchmark early on to be like, Strap in, motherfuckers! <laughs> I would love to have been in that in the, the the little cinema when they first put that in front of the producers. I know, yeah, just to be like, this is what we're doing. This is what we've shot, starring Brad Pitt. And Mark Mark yeah, it's it's so bold, um, an opening, and it has a like as bold as that opening is. I think the end of the film, which I won't spoil, is one of the boldest things i've seen anyone do in a in a film in a very long time wow okay it just in terms of like wow yep and it's something that i think a lot of people hate um okay it has nothing real it's nothing involving it's i'm trying to be as vague as i can (laughs) it's nothing to do with any of the characters it's something to do with cinema i guess oh okay that's as vague as i'll i can probably get um it's something that made me lean forward in my chair with a giant grin on my face of just like, you know what, fuck it, you, I think you've earned it, bravo, <laughs> and this is a bold move. Yeah, and I can see why a lot don't like this, yeah. I do like this. After yep. three hours, ten minutes at that point of this oh. movie, it's three three twenty, I think, oh. total, <laughs> I, was ju- I just loved it. Yep. <laughs> and I get why a lot don't. Yeah. But I, I am part of the Babylon hive. 
<laughs> so how's it doing at the box office these days? <laughs> Less said about that, the better. Yeah, <laughs> oh, well, I tried. I mean, in, unless you're Avatar, you're not doing all that well it altogether. It did steal everybody, didn't it? Yeah, kind of. Like, yeah, it's. I mean, it's now trucked over two billion globally. I think. I actually, can't quite believe it's done that well. Yeah, it's now I think surpassed Avengers Endgame, and I think is the fourth highest grossing film of all time. That is insane. Yep, Big Jim, never doubt him. I know. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah. Speaking so, of Jim, we're better going to Rand, but yeah, watched True Lies again the other night. How did it hold up? Tina hadn't seen it. Yeah. I've been trying to convince her to see it for ages and she freaking loved it. Nice. Um, yeah. Anyway, that's that's all that needs to be said. But oh, yeah. oh. she was so just unsure. She's like, oh, the title card just looks so crap. Yeah, it's, the did did the scroll. And it's just got like like the little image on whichever streaming service it is. It's just Arnie. Yeah. And then True Lies with a grenade between the word true and lies. Did it's, you notice though that the ring on the grenade is a wedding ring? No. <laughs> of course it is. So she's like, oh, just it just looks cheesy and bad i'm like trust me it's really good okay yeah. and i really think you'll like it and she's like yeah because i love ta- a kindergarten cop i'm like i think you'll like this then yeah <laughs> and, uh, you should have just told you would have had it if you told her the tagline when he said i do he never said what he did <laughs> <laughs> i did not know that <laughs> so anyway that um that was great yeah i'm glad to hear that that one holds yeah, up so yep jim it's it's one where good. a lot of people are just like discount that and like eh, whatever i'm like no it's fun come on it is so much fun and yeah. so well executed so that's it's good to see that again that's why like i was having the chat with tom actually about i was like oh i'm gonna go and see avatar and he was like Ugh, why and i'm like well because james cameron's pretty fucking good like i'm gonna give him the benefit of the doubt even though i didn't like avatar one so yeah like just his track record's pretty good at least he swings for the hills it's gonna be interesting yeah and avatar 2 is interesting yeah like it's a bit like top gun maverick like yeah which i still haven't seen actually I, but yeah. i just love what tom cruise just demanded of the industry yeah and fucking pulled it off good on him so because it, someone needs yeah. to challenge all this cgi crap that's going on and just Leading to some good movies and a lot of bad ones. And it's more just also like, bring raise the fucking bar on average entertainment. Yeah, that's it. Take <laughs> like, the, the bar. That's a really good way to phrase it. It's it. been in the, in the like gutter for so long. Like, just raise that bar a little bit. A little bit. Just show what... And like Mad Max Fury Road did it. Yes. Like, yeah. Turn actual just general popcorn entertainment into something good. And, and everyone's like, that's awesome. But we can't be bothered trying that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah. All right, well, we could do this for hours. I know, but we should probably get into Ran, Akira, Akira Kurosawa's 1985... Should we say masterpiece? Epic. Epic, yeah. yeah. Uh, here's a little synopsis for you. With Ran, legendary director Akira Kurosawa reimagined Shakespeare's King Lear as a singular historic historical epic set in 16th century Japan. Majestic in scope, the film is Kurosawa's late-life masterpiece, a profound examination of the folly of war and the crumbling of one family under the weight of betrayal, greed, and the insatiable thirst for power. Sums it up very well. Yeah, like, bravo, Criterion, for doing that in, like, two sentences. Yeah, I don't know how you <laughs> sum that up, but... Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this was your first time watching yep. Ran. Um, remind me, how familiar are you uh, Familiar are you with Kurosawa in general, I guess? Oh, I mean, not that familiar compared to a lot of people, I guess. Yep. I have seen um, Seven Samurai once, mm-hmm. and I did the Rashomon podcast yes, with you way, guys. Way back a, when. <laughs> a long time ago. 
Yep. And apart from that, I've just seen Bugs Life. <laughs> yep. So um, I don't think I've even seen The Magnificent Seven. Yeah. Um, so that, yeah, those yeah. two, basically. Yeah, fair enough. So did Both you... good. Yeah, but had you... Heard, you'd obviously heard about Ran before. Yeah, Ran's one of those ones that I've got the, you know, the Thousand and One Movies book. Yeah. From oh, probably 20 years ago now, and Ran's in that, of yes. course. Yes, yes. So I remember seeing it, and I think there's an image of all the samurais... And it's just that one of the probably the castle scene, this massed collection. It just looked like an epic from the one screenshot. Yeah, I think it was a double page sp- spread for that one. I want to say it's maybe the final battle scene with them all on horseback. Oh, maybe. It could be that one. Yeah. actually. yeah, and it just yeah just looked. And I'm just like, oh, cool. That's mm. sort of the, the only like memory I had as a kid reading that. Um, so yeah, I didn't know much more than that except it was sort of going to be a samurai war movie sort of at least yeah like it's gonna have elements of that so that's pretty much all i knew and i think you'd mentioned that it was sort of king lear essentially yeah, yeah. like which the, i am not familiar with no it's the, one of the listeners yeah it's one of the few shakespeare's i haven't actually ever read <laughs> yeah i i've read it a hand the ones we had to read at schools so mm. four or so and i have not read any since school <laughs> on purpose really <laughs> i don't dig shakes i don't dislike shakespeare but it's more effort than he's worth yeah i was actually watching a um uh, it was actually John Darnell from um, the Mountain Goats, the lead singer mm-hmm. of the Mountain Goats. He Criterion actually just put out a video of him in the Criterion closet, like picking him talking about movies, okay. and he pulls out like one of the Olivier Shakespeare's, and he's just like, "I like Shakespeare," he's, and then he quotes a friend by saying, "Can we just take a like a ten year break from Shakespeare? Just like give some other people a fucking chance." Yes, <laughs> like not to say that he's not good, but like, can we just? I shine think that's <laughs> my. I mean, I, I haven't seen or consume Shakespeare in ages, so I'm mm. probably ready to consume some Shakespeare. Um, yeah. Because, yes, it's just one of those ones where, like, people are like, you know Shakespeare, right? Yeah. Here's some more. Yeah. It's, it's a bit like Batman and the Joker. They're like, let's just put Joker in everything. Oh, God, yes. Yeah. Um, By the way, you know Joker 2 is a musical? Yeah, I've heard that. Yay. Mm. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, so I, I'm not familiar with King Lear as a story either. Like I said, no. it's one of the few that I'd never sort of really dived into. Um, I am a weirdo that does like to read Shakespeare. <laughs> like, I mean, I would like to read more. Just mm. other books always, classics yeah. included, push their way in front mm, no, that's quite fair. easily. Um, so yeah, my only real exposure to King Lear is this, <laughs> um, yeah. which hilariously doing the research, I found out that Kurosawa had been working on the script for this for close to 20 years or something, I believe. And, um, just kind of toying with the idea of, you know, father and then like his three sons and that betrayal and all of that. And then apparently like after writing it for quite a while, I realized like, oh fuck, it's King Lear. <laughs> and then just was like, all right, well, there we go. Listen, <laughs> just, realized. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But it's one where I don't know if Shakespeare actually gets a credit. Like, on. No. Whereas I know, like, on Throne of Blood and stuff, it does, like, you know, on IMDb, it's, like, based on. <laughs> oh, yeah. sorry, Macbeth. Like, you know, it is. That actually credits William Shakespeare? Not, I'm not sure if in the movie, but I know, like, on IMDb and Letterboxd yep. and stuff, it'll be like, this is a Shakespearean adaptation. Okay, cool. So, yep. Whereas I don't know if this is... Goes that far to... It, it, like, as Criterion kind of cleverly says, it's a reimagining. Ah. So, so maybe it's far enough away. Yeah. yeah it's legally not. <laughs> mm. But it, it's an interesting one how it starts, like, mm. with just the family together and the family unit, and it's 
the, one of the opening scenes is the father kind of sitting down with, you know, some visiting warlords as well as his three sons, having just been on a boar hunt. They're basically just having a picnic. Pretty much, yeah. Like it's this beautiful green mm. field that is sitting around afterwards reca- recapping the hunt. Yeah. And it's one that it's so, it's Kurosawa just in his fucking element, like establishing, like, here are our key players, <laughs> even down to the fool who you just yeah. like. You think he's just this one scene comic relief, but is a huge part of this movie. He is massive in that (laughs) film. Yeah. And yeah, you just think that's it. You think they'll probably just kill him in this scene or something. Yeah. But it's, it's a, you realize this opening scene has perfectly set up all of our key characters Mm -hmm. throughout the film. It's also establishing the key conflict that's going to come up in the film. And it's also establishing the visual style that Kurosawa is going to be doing for this film, which is a bit of a departure. I should I say from what you would normally expect from him doing this? So yeah, so you mean the wide wide shots? Pretty much, I believe in terms of close ups, I think there's like less than ten in the entire film. Everything is shot from a long shot in the film. Yeah, because the only ones like off the top of my head I can think of are when the castle's burning. And there's a close up, little intercut close ups of um of um duh, the father. <laughs> yeah, we should. Oh, no. oh my god, Criterion Booklet. What's the names? What are the names? <laughs> what are the character names? <laughs> Uh, Hidetora. Hidetora. Yep. Yeah. I'll, I'll just leave that yeah, out good, there for us. A lot of characters actually in this film. It's the same as like with, when we did like Seven Samurai. It's just like uh, <laughs> the one that isn't Mafuni. Yes. <laughs> See, I'm gonna have the problem of instead of calling him Hidetora, I'm just gonna be calling him Tatsu uh, Tatsu Nakadai, who is the actor who I and fucking I'll, love. And I'll probably be referring to them as the father, yep. son one, son two, and son three. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, they're a little bit easier. It's uh, Tor- uh, Tori. Tori. Uh, no, uh, Jiro, Tora, and uh, Sabura. Sabura, yep. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> and Lady Sadie. Yes, and... Uh, and uh, <laughs> uh, Well, it's Lady Sue. Lady Sue. Sue. And... Kadea. Is it Kadea, is it? Sadea? Kadea? Kadea. It's definitely the K. Okay, yeah. yep. <laughs> that one. That one. The manipulative K- one is yeah. pretty amazing at character, actually. But, um, yeah, yeah, so it starts in the field and pretty much gives us every male character, mm-hmm. pretty much every main character. There's a few, like, um, counsellors and stuff who pop in and out of the film. Mm. But it has all the main advisors, I think, in that scene as well, doesn't it? Yeah. Like the guy who, the advisor who gets sent into exile mm-hmm. along with the third son, Saburu. Saburu. Um, yeah, and just teases up from there. Yeah, yeah, and just kind of gets us going. Um, what I think, it's I have this, like, say for trivia later, but I'll kind of bring it up now, I guess. I think a big reason why the film is shot entirely in long shots, um, I think, was partly due to um, Kurosawa at the time. He was, I believe, 76 years old when he made this film, and so his eyesight was beginning to fail on him, mm. and so he really needed the help of his camera operators and his DP and stuff. Uh, also, the DP of this film was 84 years old, Oh, my gosh. Making him the oldest, at that time, the oldest person nominated for an Academy Award. Wow. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, so they heavily relied on other people to help them, obviously, with the visuals of the film. But what they basically relied on to set up all the visuals was Kurosawa spent two years storyboarding the film himself through paintings. (laughs) I mean, why not? It is. And they're actually included on the Criterion. It's like a gallery. They are fucking gorgeous. Wow. <laughs> Which explains why so many of them are like tableaus and yeah. beautifully wide. They're just like, well, let's. this is gorgeous. Let's just do that. That opening, like we were saying, the opening 
credits before we even have the boar hunt where, mm. where it shows them all on the, the horseback on the hills and runs through the, yeah, the the credits, literally. The first one with the four four guys on horseback actually looks like a painting until one of the horses moves. It's insane. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's so well just composed and laid out, and the colours are stunning. Yeah. Um, the grass is so green. Like, the colour saturation, I don't know if they change it or not, but it just looks wonderful. Mm. And then they just move through all these different um, static... Camera shots. The camera doesn't move much, nah. which is so interesting, especially because in a lot of his films, he knows he loves his like dolly shots and his pans a lot. There were a couple of dolly shots, weren't there? Where it actually yeah. moved where I wasn't expecting it to, and then mm. there were a couple of really key like camera moves that, um, moments that to, were yeah he, he made peppers it them in exactly yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, apparently when he was often shooting scenes, he had three cameras simultaneously using different lenses and different angles, yeah. so he could have. Sorry, excuse me, different static angles that he could kind of go yeah, from. Yeah, okay. Hmm. That's cool. Yeah, so that was something, not being an expert in cinematography. But, um, yeah, even I was noticing some of those, and we'll, I guess we'll probably talk about one or two of them later. Um, but, yeah, that, that setup is, um, yeah, introduces you, like you said, to the, the characters, the visual style, um, and the, the, just the whole, it just lays out what's happening. The father... <laughs> Yeah, handing over um, his empire to his eldest son. Uh, <laughs> which one is it? Uh, Taro. Taro. So he hands hands over his empire <laughs> and um, Saburo. Uh, Saburo. Yeah, call him Subaru now. <laughs> um, oh. Subaru. Yep. <laughs> Subaru Impreza oh, tells his father. <laughs> um, so the third son. Um, tries to be the voice of reason and actually said we're not ready for this yeah um well because uh, how does taro approach it he's basically like i'm kind of not he sort of says i'm not ready for this but he's kind of couching it in compliments to his father yes and the third son calls it out is this like stop stop trying to do this with flattery let's just be fucking honest and we're actually not ready for this and if you do do this this is what's going to happen (laughs) he's Mm. like essentially i'm going to spell out the film for you right now and um and he's very prophetic yeah and what's interesting as well is the father i just so wonder like because it's in a Prior to their picnic scene, he falls asleep and has a dream of the future, which is sort of what leads him to, in a daze, denounce his throne and, you know, subjugate himself to his son. Um, And it's... God, you really want to, like, that rash decision and things Mm. as well. And being continually told by everyone there, pretty much, just like... you're not right? Can you just... (laughs) Yeah, you're not behaving yourself. Well, that's like the first thing when the father's explaining his dream, even Mm. before he's subjugating the throne, he's... The kids are like, this is fucking weird, dude. We haven't ever seen you like this. You're not yourself. And and it's constantly the third son who's really calling it out. Um, Second son. The red son. (laughs) Jiro. Jiro. um, Is somewhere in between... He's kind of just playing a real, real middle child where he's really just like, is. I'm going to let this play. I'm going to see how this I'm going to let the other two tear each other apart. <laughs> and, and then I will have all the dessert. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, ultimately, um, Saburo gets uh, exiled. Yes. And the uh, chief advisor. Yeah, who openly steps in and is just like, it is literally my job to tell you the truth and... Motherfucker is speaking the truth, so... Yeah, don't exile him. Yeah. You're both exiled. Yeah, which is kind of so crazy that 
then then what proceeds is basically him slowly, without saying it, just kind of taking back what he had done to some mm. degree. Yeah. Like, we were joking while watching it. It's just like, I am going to step down and you can have the castle. All I'm going to take for myself is a measly tiny castle and 30 staff. And like, yeah, I'm just going to hang out there. And you shall call me Imperator. Yeah, we're going to party. Yeah. Make fun of you. Yeah. That's the thing where it's, it makes you wonder, like, are we at this point in the film, are we supposed to sympathize with, with Hidero? Mm. Um, Sorry, Hidera, Hidatora as the father, like having where he finds himself once his sons are like, you fucking gave, look, you gave me this, you stepped down, you've given me rule over this kingdom. I am acting like the ruler of it now. Yep. You're being disrespectful. Like, yep. And I need I'm doing you. what you wanted. <laughs> and then, yeah, you're, you're sort of a threat to my power if I don't do this properly. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it gets the ball rolling. Um, it, it's, are we supposed to really sympathize with him at that point? Because I don't until it is until the madness lost sets in. everything. Yeah. 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 I think, and already, like, you can... You know that he's not an, a good bloke. He's clearly quite arrogant. Yeah. But you don't become like Lord of the Lands by not being mm. a little bit arrogant. It's interesting. Or or, yeah. Um, how, how Kurosawa kind of decides to tell the story to us as well is our first instances of meeting him is he seems like a genial man who is a fair ruler who clearly loves his children and the people in his court. But then as the film progresses, we hear horrific tales of this man. Like, enemies he's defeated get their eyes gouged out. Also, just innocence, really, get, like, the um, Lady Sue is essentially an innocent. Like, she, it's just because her father was a ruler, like, you know. And the brother got blinded, and that was his gift for being allowed to let live. Yeah, is I'm going to gouge your eyes out with my thumb. Yep. (laughs) Like, it's brutal. Yeah, and then um, Lady Kaida? Uh, yes, yeah. Yep. Um, she, you know, and she's a very incredible character, really, in a mm. psychotic way. Um, like her f- mother and everybody got slaughtered in the capturing of the first castle. Yeah. And she states her intentions pretty quickly. Which is amazing that, yeah. like, by the time the film ends with her amazingly shot, how, the, how he frames her death scene is fucking incredible. Unbelievable. Um... It's where she, like, they come in, just like, you've been orchestrating all of this, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, yeah, motherfuckers, I told you. I warned you. (laughs) If you remember, two hours ago at the beginning of the film. said it out loud. It was in a wide shot. (laughs) You were there, and you were there. Yeah. It's pretty amazing that it's kind of this master act of the filmmaking that by, you know, that you have kind of forgotten all of that setup by the Mm. time, because he's, like, taking you on such an epic tale. Yeah. That you're like, oh, like... You knew she was the kind of the puppet master throughout most of it, but it was, you know... And she isolates the brothers one by one. Yeah. And that's what um, the father was, ironically, actually trying to say, like, three arrows together are stronger than one. Exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> but she isolated the brothers. Obviously, maybe she knew that the brothers would kill each other or try to kill each other. Well, it's, it goes back into that old classic thing of, does absolute power corrupt absolutely? Like, yeah. it's that thing of... It's by giving that person the power and just like whispering into their ear. She knows she can manipulate people. Yeah, and the way she quite—I mean, her initial manipulation of Taro to establish his control over his father mm-hmm. 
was probably the right thing to do. It's like, the thing. It's the smart move of the plan is because it is actually starting from a place of justification. Yep. I guess like it like makes you need sense to consolidate your power. Like um, listen outside, they are literally the people who you are surely mocking. You. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yep, that um, was the scene that won me over with the fool. The fool dancing like a gourd blowing in the wind. Oh, so oh. wonderful. Wow. Yeah, yeah and you're <laughs> so expecting him to die at that point because oh. of how kind of, you know, brazen he's being. And yeah. then, yeah. I, I would love to see a, a film being made about, like, court jesters and, like, the, the, the <laughs> yes. tightrope of a life they walk. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my god, how good would that be? How has no one done that? Like, just like, exist. There has to be like a union of them as well to be like god, just a union. Yeah, to be like, did you hear that Steve got killed? Oh, I mean, all you need is Del Toro to direct and someone who can write comedy to write a screenplay. There's like little bits of it in um, uh, Three Thousand Years of Longing. Actually, there's like, oh really? Yeah, a little bit of it. I think it's the middle tale has. A guy who's just—he's been insane by war and having killed thousands of people—and he comes back and he just gets bored of storytellers very quickly and just <laughs> like searching the land for the one that won't bore him. Oh, that's amazing! Yeah, but I love that idea. Let's—we'll write that. Yep, yep. But I'm um, getting back to uh, Kaida, the mm. um, manipulator. I, I had the thought watching this: like, is. I mean, very clearly, like, the the element from King Lear, from what I understand, of that kind of, you know, the wife or the female character kind of being manipulative, very kind of similar to Lady Macbeth and things. Yep. Um, it, it made me have the thought of, does Shakespeare either not like women? Yeah. Or does he... Or does he fear them? Fear them? Or, like, because in a, in a huge majority of his plays, they are... Either the villains or the manipulators. I mean, I'm, I know I'm painting with a very broad brush when I say that, but it is they're powerful. That is the thing. Like, he's giving female characters this insane kind of power and strength over the, the story and the narrative and Usually the men within men. it. Um, but it's always for manipulate, through manipulation or their own... What's the main... Like, I don't know many that well, but yeah, Lady Macbeth is a really obvious one. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Anthony and Cleopatra, which yep. is obviously based on a history, but Cleopatra is a very interesting character in history and in his text. Um, who's in Hamlet? Uh, well, I mean, yeah, it's the mother and then Ophelia who's kind of goes mad and yeah, Yeah. she, yeah. And then, um, obviously this character here and, uh, Juliet, I don't know, I can't comment on Juliet. No, no. Yeah. But, But, um. But like, yeah, just using this one as the example and yeah, it's just sparked a thought. She is the kind of, I mean, she really is the strongest character in the movie. Yeah, 100%. Um, and she is, she knows what she wants and she will not hesitate. Mm. Um, that what? scene where she basically just assaults um, Jiro yep. and just asserts dominance over him mm. in every possible way. It's crazy. And that it's scene's amazing. pretty much played out in a single shot as well. Isn't it? Yeah. It, it's nuts how she's comes in, starts off so subjugated and kind of meek. And then the second the other people are far enough away from the room, springs into action, knife at his throat, like slowly teasing him by like slashing it the little bits. Yeah. And then the manipulation into then fucking him. Yeah. <laughs> like yep. to gain power over. She's like at that point with the knife and things, she's like, I'm manipulating your mind. Now I'm going to manipulate your body. And then yeah. it's your. And then by the time 
that it's the post-coital scene where she's basically just like, you need to kill your wife. Yeah, you can't just divorce her. Yeah, you need to kill her. And then she, he's like, it's that amazing part where she's just like, I'm just going to be one of your concubines, flails onto the ground oh. in the best fake crying. For someone who literally could have killed him. Yeah. I don't know, three minutes ago. And the be- it's the best part where she's like mid cr- like fake crying, stops, notices a moth on the ground, Stops crying, kills the moth, <laughs> then goes back to her act. Yeah. But meanwhile, Jiro still buys it all. Yeah. It's and you can see it in her performance and the look on her face of this fucking rube. <laughs> like I have got him like putty in my hands. Yeah. Like I am. I've got him so manipulated that he's even buying this performance that I'm doing now. It's it's awesome. <laughs> and I just love it because yeah, the moment she enters, you know, the room, she. She and the way she uses her clothing and she moves, she moves like a, a, a queen or whatever mm. position would be. And then, yeah, like you said, as soon as the others leave the room, she moves like herself. Yes, and uh, it's yeah, it's great performance. It's fast and it's lethal and it's, it's terrifying. It's terrifying. <laughs> yeah, like I said, I'm very scare aroused right now. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's with purpose instead yeah. of she moves directly and with purpose yeah. as opposed to that kind of like. Aimless, dainty which kind so, of waltz. Which Zero doesn't really know what he wants. He just wants no. the, the he wants the throne. Well, and Taro before him didn't really know what he wanted. Yeah, I mean Taro at least was like had the sense of mind of like, well, if I'm going to be ruler, I will be ruler. Mm. Although she put the words in his ears to really establish that. True, true. But then when it comes to Jiro, it's essentially, yeah, like you said, he doesn't know what he wants to do as a ruler. He just... And that moment on the battlefield where he gets told that his brother has been killed and he's essentially now the ruler, Mm. he doesn't know what the fuck to do. No, even though he sort of wanted that, verbalised that earlier in the film, Mm. but he still doesn't quite... He's not like, yep, sweet, off we go. Yeah, and down to the point of he returns to the castle wearing his brother's armour, thinking it'd be a good idea, and then immediately he's like, oh, bail, (laughs) I don't want this anymore, like... I'll get naked now. Yeah, it's kind of... It's this wonderful little gymnastic act of presenting these characters and as they kind of stumble, essentially, mm. through this entire story. Um, just punctuated with amazingly constructed set pieces. Yeah, so we've we got to talk about the storming of the third castle, don't we? Yeah, we do. <laughs> um, it's fucking epic. I just love how it starts with him waking up yeah. and he looks out the window and he's like... Oh shit! <laughs> and we, you like, and then it's slowly as he keeps checking more and more windows. We see glimpses off in the distance of like flags more and stuff, flags and flags in all directions. Where it's then... just like that's real, and they stage that for real with like extras hundreds of meters away. Like yeah, it's amazing, <laughs> and like it's framed really well. Like the the focus is on him, like that bit where he looks out the window and then turns his back to the wall. Yes, and. You, you, the focus on his expression, but you got all the soldiers in the background. It, um, you got it, the arrows flying into the wall. Oh, um, it, it's something that I love in whenever Kurosawa does action scenes. He he never forgets that the purpose of these scenes is the characters. Yeah, it's not about the spectacle. It's about how this action actively affects the our protagonists and our characters that we. Are, as opposed to care about at this point. So he does like, while the scene does, you know, take its time to present the actual battle itself, it continually cuts back to uh, Nakadai sitting in his tower. And like, that is the focus of the scene is 
concentrating and never letting you, the audience, forget that it's all about this man kind of coming to terms with what he has brought upon his himself and his family. Yeah, true. Because, I mean, I guess you've got, like, some great epic movies like Lord of the Rings and things like that that do cut away from the main characters for a while to show elephants destroying armies and yeah. things like that. And you get some really awesome shots. But... But they do, yeah. And then they go back to, like, okay, let's have Legolas just wiping out a bunch of people. Let's have him slide down the trunk of an elephant. <laughs> like, exactly, yeah. It's cool, uh, but it's... It's freaking cool, and it's entertaining. But this is a different type of movie. I think that's... Yeah. And he makes the set pieces interesting whilst keeping them character-driven, like yeah. you said, rather than makes them just entertaining. Yeah. It's um, like when we get to, I mean, jumping all the way ahead to that third, the final battle mm. where it's the giant one out in the field, yeah. we hardly see any action in that. It is, no. it is epic scope and scale and bravura filmmaking yep. in terms of like absolute, how the fuck, like it breaks my brain thinking how you execute something <laughs> you like that. that up, yeah. But it's all about the characters. Yep. And it's not about the action. It's He's so clever in knowing how to do that. Yeah. And I mean... Obviously, having you know done it at this point thirty plus years, going back to Seven Samurai and stuff like yeah. that's the prime example, I think, of action, but knowing where the point is. Yep. And yeah, he's just a master. Yeah, like in the um, yeah, in the storming of the third castle, um, like when they're storming the main keep, and it just has the the brothers' armies assaulting and getting shot like at this point they've done a pretty good job of wiping out everybody outside the keep and then it just keeps cutting back to um to the father just sitting there just taking it all in and then yeah. it goes back to more death and it goes cuts back to him and there's arrows flying past behind him and flaming arrows hitting the the like the rafters and things like that and then it goes back out to people dying and it goes back to him and it goes yeah. back out again and yet it just keeps cutting back to him and I'd love as well, then it cuts down to um, Jiro and, um, uh, what's his name, uh, Kurogane. Um, mm. And they're like, oh, what about my father? Oh, he's probably committed Harakiri by now. Yeah. And then it's at that moment where you have the thought of like, oh, yeah, that's what he would be doing. And then cut back to like, oh, no, his sword has been pro like, he it's, broke his sword. He can't do it. He, he can't do it. to do it. Yeah, yeah. It's, again, like driving it all through the point of the character. Yeah. Um, which then, obviously, I think being presented with what he has kind of brought upon himself and the family snaps his mind. <laughs> yeah, it just breaks to the point where they let him walk out. Yeah. Um, and that scene of him walking out is just beautifully shot. Which which is such an interesting thing because it's clearly, I mean, Jiro is, you know, new to being ruler by about five minutes at that point. Yeah, he hasn't been in charge long. But they do make the point late, and it's the fact that he doesn't, kill his father which is the point of why they were there yep he he can't do it because he's gone mad it it helps establish this idea in you as the viewer that there is something to be redeemed in jiro he does have sympathy he is an empathetic character yeah but as the film kind of then progresses we wonder if that was just a moment of sheer shock yeah versus actual empathy yeah um because he turns oh, out pretty ruthless in the end. He's happy that, to try and kill his brother. Dumb and ruthless. Yeah. Yeah. Manipulate, um, able to be manipulated. Mm. But, but then begins the kind of big middle chunk of the movie. What's so interesting is the massive action set piece of the Storming of the Third Castle happens at pretty much the middle part of the film. 
Yeah. Um, you know, literally an, pretty much the halfway point, if not before. Yeah, it's like an hour five, hour ten it starts. Yep, and then it gets slow. <laughs> yeah, and then we have the giant kind of middle hour chunk, which is uh, I like to call the wandering section. Yeah. <laughs> yes, definitely very walkabout, that part. Yeah, where it is just essentially the man kind of coming to terms with basically the life that he has led and the repercussions of war while new the new generation are kind of coming to terms with that as well in their own way i guess mm. yeah it's um i love the transformation for um hidatora like the moment we see him outside the third castle and he's just turned into a disheveled shaggy broken mess it's crazy and he is so pale and he's so broken <laughs> and then when they um when they walk him up to the uh the blind brother's hut yes and he just looks like a shriveled yoda yeah yeah like he has shrunk I th- he's been carried like backpack style <laughs> yeah. um, yes. and he just looks like a husk of a man yeah and it is a beautiful image for someone who not that long ago was demanding the right to stay at his son's castles and things like that, and probably had every right, really, in a lot of ways. Um, and now he's just this broken husk of a human. Yeah. Um, when he used to rule these lands, yeah. he literally blinded the guy. <laughs> Who's he seeking refuge from now? Which, yeah. yeah. I mean, which prompted me, like, as the film was ending, I made the joke to you. It's like, what do you think Kurosawa thinks about war? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's clearly a big fan. Yeah. No, he, he I mean... Oh, the bulk of his films, I mean, shit, all of them post-war are kind of really dealing with and touching on that kind of negative reception, obviously, having lived through World War II in in Japan and all of that, the horrors that that brought, like, yeah. he is very much a fuck you <laughs> kind of, any, yeah. to any kind of conflict or war, um, which is, yeah, this film is kind of his opus on that i would say no one walks away happy yeah it is basically like this is what happens when you engage in war and it like down to the point of there are multiple characters in this film that are like don't do this war is dumb yeah we're doing all right Let's just get along. Yeah, it's so easy to just get along and just do it. Your neighbours are begging for you to marry their daughters. Yeah. By the end, they've captured your castle. Yeah, because (laughs) you just were flying by the seeds of your pants and yeah it's thought that you could have it all and it's it is a when you take it take a kind of step back and examine it through that kind of post-war prism you're just like it's pretty kind of scathing like on you know clearly transposing the suns for the japanese government thing like in wartime it's yeah he's he's wearing his thoughts on his sleeve (laughs) yeah and yeah tells it really well whether it's um heavily king lear or whether it's heavily him or yeah either way yeah he he has openly said um i'm i'm trying to find more on this but it was just too much of a bit of a rabbit hole but he kurosawa had once said that hitatora is me (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah which is like oh good yeah oh dear i mean i he yeah because this film comes at a very interesting time in his career. Yeah. I'm just going to quickly pull up his IMDb so I can get it accurately. Get so time frame, right? Yeah. Yeah. So he obviously was a humongous Japanese director, like not just 
Japanese. Like, he is one of the best directors ever. He was quite prolific in general, wasn't he? He made quite a few films. 33, on IMDb, he has 33 credits. Yeah. Um, okay. Some of them, obviously, TV movies. Some of the stuff's, um, like, the World War II film, Tora, Tora, Tora. It's listed oh, here yeah. as director, and then in parentheses, some Japanese sequences, uncredited. Because <laughs> I know he quit the movie because he was just like, fuck Hollywood, fuck you people. Yep. Um, but yeah, where this film comes, because I mean, you know, he's made several masterpieces by this point yeah, in his career. I always assume this is right at the tail end of the masterpiece, sort of criterion style. Yeah, because, okay, we'll go through, like, I mean, you've got the 50s period where you have uh, kicking off with... Uh, Rashomon in 1950, Ikaru 52, Seven Samurai 54, Throne of Blood 57, uh, <laughs> Hidden Fortress 58. Oh my gosh. Then into the 60s, we've got Bad Sleep World, Yojimbo Sanjuro, High and Low, Red Beard uh, in 1965. Then his next film is a TV movie five years later. So between 50 and 65. That's the bulk. Some absolute. Bangers. Yeah, he is on his run right there. Wow. Um, But then after Redbeard in 65, which Redbeard is a fantastic movie, but Mm. it is a slow, contemplative, nearly three-hour long... Yeah, it's a bit long. It's not samurai-based. It is a... a... (laughs) When's it actually set? Let me just click on the synopsis. Um, Is it a pirate movie? In the 19th century, in 19th century Japan, a rough-tempered yet charitable town doctor trains a young intern. That's not a pirate movie. <laughs> Three hours and five minutes. <laughs> oh, it is fantastic movie. Yeah, but it's slow. It, it's an <laughs> art film, yep. like you know, yep. it is a beautiful character study film, and that's 1965. Okay. Then it's uh, Song of the Horse, which is a TV movie, mm-hmm. um, and then obviously getting fired or quitting off of Tora Tora Tora. Uh, then he makes a Dodeska Den in 1970, which does not, it's, it's kind of, if you were to say there's a film in his career that doesn't exist, it's kind of okay. Dodeska Den, like, which is a totally fine film, yeah. but then not another film for another five years. Uh, he falls into a deep depression. Yep. He's unable to get anything made, um, contemplates suicide multiple times. Oh gosh. Um, his autobiography is amazing, by the way. Yeah, can imagine, yeah. Um, then he takes a job for hire, pretty much, uh, directing a film called Dursu Uzawa, mm-hmm. uh, which translates to uh, The Hunter. Uh, it's a Russian film. Actually, okay. Yeah. Uh, the synopsis is: A Russian army sends an explorer on an expedition to the snowy S- Siberian wilderness, where he makes friends with a seasoned local hunter. Uh, that okay. film is the first time an Akira Kurosawa film wins an Academy Award for international film. As a Russian movie, <laughs> yep, and a job for hire. Wow. Then it takes him another five years to be able to make Kagamusha, which yeah, okay. only gets yeah. made through the help of Francis Ford Coppola and George Lucas. Incredible. It's nuts that like how the f- why is no one giving this man work? And then again, it's another five years until he gets to make Ran. Incredible that after that, then he just comes out with Ran. Yeah, well, <laughs> I love that as well because Kagamusha is a huge epic, and mm. at that time was the most expensive film made in Japan. Okay, and yeah. then he makes Ran, which he then jokes is Kagamusha was the test run for mm. Ran. It kind of was. Him playing with scope and color as well. Um, yeah, it wasn't his first color film, but it's yeah. yeah I, um, Dodeska Den's the first one in 1970. Definitely but, uses color well. Insane. Yeah, like in this. Um, 
obviously just like the armies and their primary colors, yeah. the, th- the three suns and, and things like that, um, which makes the movie easy to follow, but it also totally. makes it very nice to look at. Yeah, visually and stunning. And the, it's not just in terms of the character separation, but locations as well. Yeah, and like we... So early on, you've got the relatively happy setting on the beautiful green hills mm. and the blue skies. You've got the, the mountain in the background. Mountain. gorgeous. And then the final scene is um, Saboro's defeated army, essentially, mm. just trudging through the volcanic ash. Well, it's, the bad thing is they're not defeated. They're not defeated, just he's... The, it's, they've yeah. won, but at the cost of... It's pretty great. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they're trudging through volcanic ash. Yes. And it's just this incredible like juxtaposition from the start of the film when the family was one and they ruled the lands... They got along with their neighbours pretty well. Yeah, to the um, point of they were on a picnic. Yeah, they were basically <laughs> just having a hunting trip together. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so the transformation, like, I guess the third castle is a very bleak castle compared mm-hmm. to the other two. And so the invasion of that is it's just this dirty, dusty wasteland. Yeah. And so the army flags stand out mm. really well against the um, against the the earth. And then, so, yeah, he uses just the landscapes really well to sort of almost reflect the current tones pretty much and the the kind of dirty barren dusty nature of that third castle as well Mm. just constantly means that there's dirt and smoke in the air that looks like it's actually rising up from the ground and kind of enveloping and kind of taking over everything it's nuts and you commented like the brutality of the siege of the third castle Mm. the the blood yeah the use of and the use of the placement of Mm. blood because i mean Kagamusha as well has some death and some violence in there, but it's nowhere near on this level. And, I mean, there are earlier Kurosawa films, like Seven Samurai, a lot of people die in that movie. Yeah, the body count's pretty big from memory. But because it's black and white, you don't... It, it kind of dampers the, yeah. the violence, I guess, or tamps it down a bit, whereas this is in bright, vibrant Technicolor, and it's horrific, and yep. it's kind of gnarly to see him kind of really go there in terms of the violence and like i guess the most powerful one is um lady kader's death mm. which you said like as you said like the way they shoot that scene yeah is just like cinema perfection he, he goes full kill bill with it <laughs> he does and just that little camera shift at the end it's not a big one no but it is perfect and the framing of like the blood squirt. Yes. Is, <laughs> the geyser. <laughs> yeah, it is just perfect. Like the camera track and, um, yeah. And the still, like, the such sudden, sudden sharp movement followed by the stillness of the everybody pause. in the yeah. mo- room. It's, it just, just hits you. Yeah. yeah. It's just like, oh. <clears throat> but it is that, I mean, the one thing I will say, it's not necessarily even a fault because it really does work to hamper home the themes that he's kind of going for in the film, but it is that middle section, the wandering section, where the film drags isn't the right word to necessarily use, but it it does kind of lose momentum slightly. That's where I could have fallen asleep. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Which I almost did fall asleep in the middle of Seven Samurai, I remember, because the cinema seats are really comfy. Oh, yeah, Um, yeah, at Acme. They're good seats. And I definitely basically dozed off before the intermission. Yeah, well, the Um, middle section of Seven Samurais, it's like they attack, then they retreat, then they attack, then they retreat, then they attack. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, the the middle section is, I think, the wandering section is is obviously important, but Mm. it, it does, yeah, it 
drags a little. Yeah. You don't, I reckon the film only drags in two parts. It drags a little at the start. Like, mm-hmm. it takes a while to get going and set it all up, and then it drags in that middle section. Yeah. It, it's that like kind of length of establishing the relationships and the characters, and then kind of he really wants to hammer on the point of this is a house of cards that is being tumbled mm. essentially, yep. and just look at the madness that war and you know betrayal reeks upon reaps upon the world and family. I guess. Yeah, I think like probably the only thing from a story point of view, I I haven't spoken about at least um, is at the end where. You know, um, Hidetora's wandering around mad, as per mm-hmm. definition of the film, um, and Saburo comes looking for him. He has yeah. every opportunity to fight his brother for the throne, and he's not interested. He just no. wants to help his dad, who is like yeah. he always wanted to from the start of the exactly. film. Exactly. And it actually, the dad has been running away from him for the whole movie. And he doesn't realise until the end that his son just loves him. Yeah, and it's it's that thing in his mind of like, well, if this is how the two rational, like in his mind, rational, I'm using yeah. air quotes, sons have reacted to me, what's the one I'm, I've banished and exiled? Mm-hmm. He, uh, the one that out of anyone has, I guess, the justification, again in air quotes, yeah. <laughs> um, to kind of seek retribution from his father, yet he's the polar opposite. Yep. And yeah. he just wants to find his dad and make sure he's okay because he knew he wasn't okay at the start of the movie. It's almost like Kurosawa is saying, hey, if we all just put down our swords and talked, yeah. maybe things would be okay. Yeah, maybe we could figure something out. <laughs> uh. And then there's that just scene on the horse yeah. at the end. Just brutal oh. and sad. It is, yeah, like I said, this is his thesis statement on, yeah, on conflict war. and yeah. war. And it's... Yeah. That's why it has to end so bleakly and sadly. And like you said, the blind guy up on the mountain by himself waiting for his now decapitated sister to come home. He just went to get his flute. That's I so know. stupid. When it's the point of like the, the old lady, it's like, she's been gone a while. It's just like, yeah, yeah don't. She, <laughs> just, she dead. You know what, buddy? We can get you another flute. We'll buy you another one. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like the gold watch in Pulp Fiction. It's like, no good will come from this. <laughs> don't go back there. Just leave the flute. <laughs> Yeah. Like, it's probably a good one, and I'm sure it's sentimental, but yeah. it's just... Life? Sentimentality. Your Life. sister's pretty sentimental, too. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Uh, I mean, she, it was her choice. She mm. chose to go back. But And that's what's so amazing as well, that when, you know, they arrive back at the... They rush back to the castle, um, Jiro and his army, mm. um, think that, you know, to fade off, uh, kind of keep off the invasion yep. um the guy comes like he's like i got the head it's just like why the fuck were you con like that the general finally has enough um yes. kuragana is just like why the fuck were we doing that at the same time as this what is wrong with you people priority yeah and that's when he finally loses it and he's just like, goes and decapitates her like yep. fuck this and in the meantime the army had one job Close the gates, yeah, and they didn't close the gates because uh, it is just that thing of just like getting instead of like again bigger picture stuff. It is being so singularly focused on one aspect of something yeah. rather than the big picture. It's why, yeah, yeah, the, everything just kind of falls apart. Like like going back to the beginning of the film, one arrow versus the many. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. <laughs> such a wonderfully constructed film. <laughs> yeah, it's very well constructed. Like it's it's long. Um, it's quite slow in parts, mm. but like the sum of its um, some of its parts is very strong. Yeah, it is that. Yeah, like I said, like there's no 
nothing I could really fault in it, but yeah, it is that thing of by the time you get to the end and kind of everything has been placed in a row, you're mm. like, that was a fucking masterpiece. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> yeah, like I think a rewatch would be easier than the first watch. Yes. Because you sort of know what's coming um, yeah. and you can pick up more from the... Even just, I mean, even just some of the f- stuff the fool says because it's a bit mm. Shakespearean in a way. Like it's a bit rhymy or vague, um, and but it's all has purpose. The fool's words, and so some of them are easier to follow than others. So things like that would just be a little simpler to sort of connect with the story at the time and yeah. things like that. No, yeah. pretty much. It's yeah. I like when the fool tries to run away yeah. or considers running away from the master, um, kind of thing. It's, yeah, again, like, the person who is literally the fool of the film is, like, kind of one of the smartest. Kind of right up there. Yeah, yeah that's it. He knows what's going on. The fool ain't no fool. Yeah. Um, I don't know, yeah, is there anything else we haven't really touched on yet with this one, or... Those are the big ones for me, I think. I don't know yeah. why they kept cutting to the clouds. Um, I guess the the idea of time moving forward, I guess, that's kind of his artistic way to show progression of time. You reckon that was a time progression thing? Yeah, yeah. As, as well as a kind of contemplation on, uh, like, the there is more in the world going on rather than what's focused down. Okay, and the world's it, a bigger place than... Yeah, kind yeah. of simultaneously leaning into those kind of elements. Yeah, there were always, like, cut points. Um, yes, yeah. Scene progression points, yeah. Mm. But, um, I mean, the, the final non-battle, I guess we could call it... The when you have the two brothers army or the brothers army the other um, Subaru Impreza's um, small battalion <laughs> Subaru's small battalion so many names um, and then you've got the two rival like the neighboring armies one up on the like on the hill yes. and then on the mountain the it is like some of the most impressive staging of extras. I've ever seen in a film. It is breathtaking. Yeah, they squish... And, like, the battle on the plains, they squish them into a small space. Yeah, Like, those horse charges and things like that. Mm. And, Um, yeah, just the sheer amount of people and horses and design that's gone into it all is jaw-dropping. Yep. Um, And it, while simultaneously looking like no other battle scene or epic Mm. you've seen before, it's, it's... yeah. Yeah. Like that's when when you think of epic films like like Gladiator, the opening yes. scene of Gladiator, yeah. it is uniquely different to any other battle or war scene we've seen before, and that's yeah, what that's... makes it stand out. Yep. Whereas with Braveheart, it's just a field. And yes. it's not that memorable. Like... No, like it's probably very realistic. Mm. <laughs> but it's Brits and Scots running at each other and hitting each other. Yeah, when you think of Braveheart, it's not the actual battle scenes and stuff that you think of. No, it's more just the sheer brutality of it all. Yeah, yeah. You think um, of the speech before the battle, but yes. yes. And you, <laughs> yep, and all the arrow attacks and things mm. like that. But um, but yeah, the the uh, he really knows how to stage and present something that is just utterly engaging, I think. And I think, like, the we were talking about the stuntmen falling off the horses. Oh, God. Like, the way that was edited in and probably filmed, you know, and at a different time mm. <laughs> to when they were shooting a lot of the other stuff um, just worked really well yeah and um, oh those poor stuntmen that's the thing like at that end when they're essentially retreating back mm. to the castle it's not all he's doing is just here's a long shot of just bodies dropping falling yep if you need another idea of me hammering home my point of this film 
Yep. Body, body, body. Body, body. Another one. What's this all for? Nothing really. Nothing much. <laughs> oh, how about that stunt man when um the invasion of the third castle oh. was running away from the horses and yeah. gets bodied over by a horse. Yeah. And just... then the next two kind of trample him. And then they cut away just as another one's approaching. I'm like, for the love of God, don't step on his head. Don't, don't, don't. Did that stunt man live or die? I know. It's like <laughs> you're always here and there's like a couple of scenes where horses fall over and you're mm. just like, oh God, no. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and that's why I, I think I loved RRR so much. It has a disclaimer at the beginning of the film saying no animals were used in the making of this film. Every animal is CGI. Okay, yeah, that's pretty clear. Just to be like, mm, yeah. yeah. So those scenes, just don't worry about them. So when we're doing really gnarly shit like a guy throwing a panther at someone's face. It wasn't just, real. It wasn't real, folks. <laughs> or when we kill a snake or bugs or whatever. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't real. But yeah, it is just that, like, really harkens back to, like I said, there was the one kind of matte painting shot that you can really kind of pick out yep. of the first castle burning. Burning down, yep. Um, but every it's like a like genuine historic site. Yeah, it's like we can't actually... Ease up, Akira, we can't actually... Like burning down the Colosseum or something. <laughs> yeah, but it's for a movie. <laughs> um, it, it's really a great example of classic practical filmmaking. Yeah. Yeah. Like... And then, because they do that, and they do it well, that matte painting's done so well, yeah. that it looks very real. And then you've got the scene of um, them, the third castle burning down while he walks out. Oh. And like one you of the said, mo- like, you want to get this shot right. Yeah, it is one of the most striking visual images of a film. It's beautiful. The height of the castle, the camera angle, the red army to one side, the yellow army to yeah. the other side, and him in his incredible white robes. Just broken. Just expression. broken, just walking out the centre. Yeah, um, perfectly framed. Just framed, just... And Wes Anderson would have just collapsed. Yeah. Pure ecstasy. He can only be so erect. <laughs> but it is that thing as well. Like, I love a shot when it's a practical fire like that. And another, like, similar one, The Sacrifice by Tarkovsky. When a fire is burning so intense that it's just that billowing of the flames yeah. at the top. It like sort of fuels itself within itself. It's just this combustion engine mm. of a fire at some point, And it's just terrifying and yeah, beautiful. It's, ugh. Yeah. I love it. (laughs) I haven't seen that shot and I will look it up. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm meaning the one in Ran. Oh, sorry, no, the Tarkovsky one. Yep. Mm. Um, Yeah. You've seen Solaris. You're all over Tarkovsky. Yeah, I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) I consumed a few hours of my life. Yeah. Uh, The one I would recommend, you should check out Stalker. I think you'd actually Mm. really dig Stalker. Yeah, I'd be interested in seeing more. Mm. Um, but yeah, any final thoughts before trivia or? No, I think, I think we've covered it pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'd love to hear bonus bits. All right. So the film was nominated for four Academy Awards, uh, including best art direction, best cinematography and best director. Wow. This was the first and only time Akira Kurosawa was nominated for an Academy Award. Pretty early for what you might call an international director to be n- nominated. No. Okay. Cool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Just wondering. Well, it was. I know it was such a big deal when Parasite won big Best Picture and things like that. It's a bit different. I know they but. would nominate people like uh, Ingmar Bergman was nominated quite ah, a few okay. times. Yeah. Like they would throw the nominations and stuff out. It just is they would never win. They were never going to win. Yeah, yeah. which is what made the Parasite win. So, it, and not just that, but it was the first time an international, like a film not in English, won. Yes, because you think back on it, and it is like you know, nineteenth. I just it's in my head because the new 
version of it got nominated for Best Picture, but All Quiet on the Western Front. Yes. A German film, mm. like a German story about the German perspective, won Best Picture in 1930, but it's the American version. <laughs> like, it's a very Americanized yep. telling of that story, I guess. That's a good movie, that old one. Yeah. Uh, it, uh, there's, this is, so this is now the third time it's been there, because I know there's the oh, one in the 80s. The one. There's the 80s one as oh, well. Okay. There's the 1930s black and white one, which is fantastic. I'm honest, I can't remember which one I saw. Mm, but I know there was definitely like a one in the 80s, which yeah. I know we watched in school, possibly. Well, maybe that was the one I watched then. Um, but yeah, I need to check out the new one. Yeah, I'm keen. It um, looks pretty intense. Yeah. Uh, I'm just, I've just got the Oscars up because I want to double check. Uh, yep. One, two, three. Yep. So, <laughs> so as I said, it was nominated for four Academy Awards, including Best Art Direction, Best Cinematography, and Best Director. It won the Oscar for Best Costume Design. Wow, okay. The um, costumes are incredible. The subtlety, di- subtle differences between different soldiers and things like that. Yep. I'll just get the name. Uh, so it was Emmy Wada was the costume designer. Yep. And uh, Kurosawa himself uh, designed the costumes as well with her. Yep. Um, and she constructed them all. Yep. Uh, all of the co- several hundred of the costumes were all created by hand uh, in a process that took over two years to complete. I mean, they look handmade. That's when you brought up watching yeah. the film, the fact that there's these subtle imperfections and differences between each of the costumes. There's different classes of soldier, but the ones within the same class like would have different looking shoulder pads yeah. and things like that. And it happens in the it's yeah, yeah. so that was looks brilliant yeah. let alone the main characters outfits were stunning yeah and like it's, it just makes you wonder the actual like time and effort put into this film like kurosawa painting the storyboards as yes. paintings himself over like a decade two years for the costumes to be made i think shooting itself took like many many months like moved yeah. in from night i think they began production in 1983 and then it came out in 84 85 so wow. yeah oh sorry 85 so yeah. Yeah. Um, I was looking up. So we were art direction, cinematography, and director. Yep. It all lost to the same film. Is it like Amadeus or something? Out of Africa. Oh, golly. Which I watched last year for the first time. I've never seen it. I think you told me you, not to. You're good. <laughs> that, it, the fact that, I mean, I love Sidney Pollock, mm. but the fact that Sidney Pollock won Best Director over Akira Kurosawa is... Uh, criminal? Bit criminal. <laughs> the fact that this won Best Cinematography, I mean, uh, like, art, like all of them, like, yeah. But weirdly, um, despite all those things, uh, Ran was not nominated for International Feature or Picture. What won Best International? I am looking that up. <laughs> so I'm just, yeah. Uh, the, Peter Weir was also nominated for Best Director. Oh, really? For Witness. Oh, yeah, okay. International Features, you had Angry Harvest, Three Men in a Cradle, When Father Was Away on Business, Colonel Reddle, and the winner was The Official Story. I know none of those five. Neither. <laughs> <coughs> Which okay. is... Yeah. I know none of these. I'm sure some of them are good. I, I yeah, just, they probably yeah. are. Yeah. Okay. But, Interesting. Mm. But yeah. Yay, Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> um, back to trivia. It was nominated for six BAFTAs, Best Costume Design, Best Cinematography, Best Production Design, Best Adapted Screenplay, and it won the awards for Best Makeup and Best Foreign Language Film. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was listed as the ninth best film in the 1985 Carhe du Cinema and won a Special Distinction Award at the Independent Spirit Awards. 
and won the National Board of Review prizes for Best Director and Best Foreign Language Film. It's currently listed as number 163 on IMDb's Top 250, number 36 on Letterboxd's Top 250. It's included in 1001 Movies to See Before You Die, and it is also on Roger Ebert's list of great movies. <laughs> it's doing all right. It's doing okay. Itself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for proof that Oscars don't mean anything. <laughs> no. They're fun. Um, yeah. 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 Uh, Ran, uh, generally translated from Japanese, means chaos or revolt. Oh, yeah, okay. Yep. Yep. Uh, I'd mentioned that Kurosawa... I always wondered what it meant. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> there we... Yeah, chaos, revolt, yeah. yeah. I'd mentioned that Kurosawa was 76 when he directed the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd mentioned that he called Kagamusha uh, the dress rehearsal for this. Oh, this is... Prepare to be bummed out. Uh, Akira okay. Kurosawa's wife of 39 years, Ayoko Yaguchi, died during the production of the film. Kurosawa halted filming for just one day to mourn before resuming work on the picture. Oh. Wow. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Oh. It. <sighs> Yeah. Okay, <laughs> like, what do you like, even say? What, what can you do? Like, it, it's you wonder if it is that like psychotic nature of a driven artist yeah. versus like industrialization versus this is a moving horse, like moving you know train that we can't stop. Like, yeah, the moving train thing I think is a big part of or it. Or just being at peace, like, being at peace and continuing to do what he loved yeah just being distracted perhaps throwing himself into his work but yeah, yeah. it's just oh. such an interesting yeah one day and then back like crazy absolutely crazy yeah gosh uh the castle destroyed in the middle of the movie was uh specially constructed on the slopes of mount fuji for the film and then burned down no miniatures were used for this segment although the optical uh, an optical of another castle being burned was used at the end as we said mm-hmm uh, Akira Kurosawa told director Sidney Lumet he chose to frame a shot because a specific shot because if he moved the camera an inch to the left, the Sony factory would be seen, and if he moved the camera to the right, the audience would see the airport. <laughs> <laughs> I just imagine like Sidney Lumet just being like, "It's gorgeous. How do you come up with that framing?" It's like, well, well, <laughs> necessity. <laughs> I got a story for you. Have you heard about the mother of all invention? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the role of Lord Hidetora was specifically written, uh, was supposedly written for Toshiro Mifune and with him in mind, uh, but this didn't happen because at the time of production, Kurosawa and Mifune were on bad terms, apparently. I don't mind the alternate casting. No, being a fan of Tatsuya Nakadai, I think he is perfect in this film. He has a playfulness and an innocence that I think Mifune lacks. Yeah, I think Mifune would have done the madness well. Aggressive, li- though. Yeah, aggressive. I From the, my limited experience with him, mm. I, having seen him in um, Rashomon where he plays a pretty crazy character and in Seven Samurai where he plays a different type of crazy character, yeah. Yeah. Um, that an- those animalistic sort of ones, which that's his style from my basic understanding yeah. with um, Kurosawa. But, yeah, no, I like the... Um, current cast what's his name again Uh, Tatsuyo Nakadai okay cool um yeah it's Mifune doesn't play meek well no okay and that's like personal 
you know, take on that. But I think, you know, needing someone like Tatsuya Nakadai yeah. in there is perfect casting. Because yeah, so. I've only seen Mifune in those more intense roles, so mm. got nothing to compare it to. I mean, he plays quiet and solemn well, mm. but this that's the problem. of I don't know if he would play a broken... Broken would be interesting. Because, like, there, there are moments, like in Seven Samurai, like, he gets... That character becomes broken, yeah. but it's a manic kind yeah. of... Very I don't f- know if he'd look like a broken Yoda. Yeah, exactly. You I need- like the broken Yoda. Yeah, that's what I mean. You want him in a backpack. <laughs> yeah, like, it just was such a juxtaposition from this intense unit early yeah. on. And he's this shriveled little raisin of a human. Hmm. Um... Moving on to some kind of in the vein of alternate casting, I guess. Yep. Uh, in the mid-60s, uh, Peter O'Toole had tried to persuade Akira Kurosawa to film King Lear. Oh. Uh, 20 years later, Ran would be Kurosawa's next and last Shakespearean adaptation. Um, <laughs> I have a quote here from an interview with Peter O'Toole. Yep. My favorite, my favorite filmmaker is Kurosawa. To me, he's the perfect blend of the image and the word. Superb. I'd love to do King Lear with him. Syphilis, did you say? Good Lord, how very interesting. <laughs> what a marvellous death. Perfect for Lear. <laughs> the great theory is that Shakespeare wrote it when he was poxed to the nines. <laughs> What's the... <laughs> and then it's just a bunch more of Rito Tool's drunken ramblings. So how drunk was he? Yeah. Um, but yeah, the fact that he, like, Peter O'Toole's, like, yeah. at the peak of Peter O'Toole's, mm. is, like, right around post-Lawrence uh, Lawrence, yeah. Yeah, he's... Like, Akira Kurosawa is my favorite filmmaker, and I want to do King Lear with him. Crazy. (laughs) (laughs) I just thought that was fun. And uh, Criterion relevant. Uh, Criterion was set to release the film on Blu-ray in Region 1 territories, which would have made it the first Akira Kurosawa film released on Blu-ray in America. Mm. But Criterion lost the rights to the film at the last minute and was unable to release it. And and the earlier releases of the DVD are subsequently out of print. Ooh, so you're a lucky boy. Yeah, so as a result, uh, Criterion's release of Kagamusha became the first Kurosawa film to be released in the US. However, later down the track, Studio Canal and Lionsgate, blah, 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 the new 4K, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, so... That- okay, so you've got a now out-of-print... Yes, a, a rather rare Criterion edition. Say, and it's a fancy-looking box, that one. Yeah, it's not bad. So on that note, I'll move into the actual Criterion mm. edition itself. Uh, so as you just heard, the film is out of print. <laughs> uh, but if you're lucky enough to have the double DVD set, it comes with an uh, audio commentary by film scholar Stephen, Print, uh, Stephen Prince, an appreciation of the film by director Sidney Lumet, theatrical trailers, uh, AK, a 74-minute film by Christopher uh, by Chris Marker, um, AK obviously standing for Akira Kurosawa, uh, 30-minute documentary on the making of Ran, part of the Toho Masterworks series Akira Kurosawa, It Is Wonderful to Create, a 35-minute video piece reconstructing Ran through Kurosawa's paintings and sketches created as part of the series Image, Kurosawa's Continuity. New video interview with actor Tatsuyo Nakadai, as well as the usual booklet and essays the Criterion usually do. Wow. So pretty stacked. <laughs> I was going to say, like, I saw the box when you pulled it out. It's like the, the old, the, the thick, fancy the... double box. Yep. Yep. <laughs> not, not some little, like, yeah, we've got two DVDs jammed in a little box. No. No, we've gone fat here. We, we're going for it. <laughs> the, the cover art's nice, too. The spine art's nice. I know. It's gorgeous. That just the splattered. And the, 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 the colours. Yeah, 
the primary colours. Yeah, it's and just, or it's, oh. it's the three songs. Yep. Like, yeah, it's great. It's gr- it's yeah. I, that's why I love a good Criterion artwork when you're like you look at it and you're like, I, cool, it looks nice, but I, and then after you see the film, you're like, oh, I get it now. <laughs> Smart. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Um, it has been a while since you've been on an episode, and it's been a while since I've attempted one of these, but do you have a tagline for this oh, movie? Oh, I forgot about... No. Oh. We can take a minute, because I don't no, have no, one either. No, um, got to put me on the spot here. Um, I'll, I'll throw out... Okay, I've um, got oh, one. you got one? I've got one. Hang on. All right, let me, just, let me just formulate it so it doesn't sound real dumb. War, what is it good for? Family dysfunction. <laughs> nice. That's I, the best I've got. Yeah, I've, I've just gone kind of standard with it and I've adapted an old saying and I've gone with uh, one man's rule is another man's folly. Yeah, cool. That's yeah. better. Why not? <laughs> Simple enough. Um, but yeah, any final thoughts? Did you dig the movie? Um, look, I will be honest and say, like, it was almost a battle to stay awake at times. Yeah. But I did work, like, today. So, yeah, it's, you know, it's, we both did. Yeah. So Neither you know. of us have had dinner or anything. No. It's been a long day. Um, but I I think I would really like to rewatch it in, like, a year's time or something like that. Knowing the steps, knowing where it's going. Knowing what I'm in for, knowing... The sort of the yeah the the big long slow section so I can absorb them better the second time around yeah yeah um and really appreciate the characters and know the characters from the start yeah so yeah no I it was a good I think I would enjoy it a lot more in a second viewing because it is a it's a masterpiece really yeah um, it's it's pretty high up there in the Kurosawa rankings for me it's it's probably it's not in like the top three or anything but it's it's in that top. The S tier, if you yeah, will. Like I, my experience with Kurosawa is all three have not been easy watches, mm. but all three that I've seen, I feel like I would watch them again and really like yeah. them more the second time. Yeah, out, out of the three that you've seen, I would put this third. I do prefer uh, Rashomon and Seven Samurai more than this. But, yeah, yeah, I think I, Seven Samurai was was quite amazing yeah. um, and just sort of just felt more constant. And this this felt, genuinely did feel very Shakespearean, so, mm-hmm. so that sort of old-fashioned and... Um, complex or something and Rashomon the storytelling is just clever next level and the camera work and stuff yeah yeah it's really good Mm. so that was that was just great I haven't seen that in a long time and I still remember how impressed I was by that it's one of those films that gets burned into your memory like I'm I will guarantee some images from this film will be burned oh my gosh yes (laughs) Um, but yeah so it's it's a good one yep uh, but yeah, thank you all for listening and thank you, Eric, for jumping on the episode. No worries. My pleasure. It was good to be, um, yeah, good to be involved again. Yeah. Uh, as per usual, um, yeah, you can send us an email at thecriterionquest at gmail.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter at CriterionQuest. I'm on Letterboxd as just my name. Uh, it's in the episode description. Eric's on Letterboxd as well. Yeah, I am. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, we're all on there and all that usual stuff. Uh, plug in the Patreon. Lee's back over there. We're doing some fun stuff. Um, we actually... Uh, yeah, what have you done on the Patreon? We'll, just, we'll, uh, we'll have come out by the time this episode is out. Uh, Lee, when she just had the baby... Um, sat down and watched all of Neon Genesis Evangelion. Oh, wow. And I thought you were going to say she watched a junior. No, and <laughs> loved it. And so we sat down and did a commentary and a just general Evangelion discussion uh, while having End of Evangelion movie on in the background. Fantastic. <laughs> Where okay. Toby and I, who have each watched the series like three, four times. So you guys have... 
big fans. Yeah, trying to break it down <laughs> and explain, answer questions Lee had. Yep. But yeah, so that awesome. Hmm, cool. And so we're back and we're just kind of freewheeling and doing whatever we want over there, which is always fun. Great. Yeah. Um, but Lee should be back for next episode, hopefully, uh, which will be Tales of Hoffman, the uh, Powell and Pressburger film. When I'd mentioned it was a Powell and Pressburger film, she got very excited. I, so I will just listen to the episode and learn. Yep. Uh, they're the dudes who made uh, The Red Shoes, uh, The Life and Death of Colonel Blimp. I've um, heard of The Red Shoes. Yes. Uh, the Red Shoes being Lee's favorite film. So <laughs> That's why I've heard of it. I reckon she's spoken about it in previous episodes. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, yeah, look forward to that. Um, I'm hoping now that, you know, my work has kind of calmed down. I say that as it has not at all. Okay. <laughs> um, thank you. Thank uh, you, Oscar nominations. Yeah, I mean, actually, thank you, Oscar nominations. <laughs> but, yeah, it's it's still a bit busy, which is why the release schedule has been a bit all over the place. But now we're hoping to be back into our regular fortnightly kind of uh, rotation. So keep an eye out for that episode in a week or two's time. But otherwise, as usual, Patreon and all that stuff. Uh, thank you for listening, Eric. Thank you for joining. It was great. And uh, thank you. we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.